What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. I must confess, Michael Cohen has never been my attorney. Just for the record, want to get that straight. That we know of. I never called him. Never paid him. Ha <laughs> ha, Sean Hannity. You did. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Tuesday, April 17, another cascade of news today. Too much news for just two hours, but we'll do our best to squeeze it all in. Hello, and it's good to see you today. And welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show, your morning headquarters to get caught up in all the news of uh, after whatever happened after our show yesterday, whatever happened overnight, and whatever the president of the United States is tweeting this early in the day, at least when we get started. We're coming to you from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our little perch right here on Capitol Hill down the street from the United States Capitol and about five or six metro stops away from the White House. I do it almost every day. I should know exactly how many stops that is uh, in case I'm not paying attention. But it is good to see you, and we thank you for joining us with lots to talk about. Of course, the big action yesterday was up in New York City where a federal judge didn't pay much attention to Donald Trump's plea through his attorney that he, Donald Trump, alone should get to look over all the documents that the FBI sees from Michael Cohen and that he, Donald Trump, should decide what the FBI can see and what the FBI cannot see. Next time you're stopped uh, by a police officer, why don't you try that trick as well and see how far you get Again, it's the Bill Press Show, and you are a big part of it. You are our most important guest of the day, so we want to hear from you what you think about the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We jump right in, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Shop Talk yesterday, the Pulitzer Prize winners were announced Lots of big, big awards yesterday. turns out the New York Times and the New Yorker actually are going to be sharing the Pulitzer Prize for their reporting on the 
hashtag Me Too movement. It was and, both and of them. Weinstein, the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it was. It really was the New Yorker that started this, but then yeah. lots of other good reporting came out. Uh, the Public Service Prize mentioned the work of the New Yorkers Ronan Farrow and the Times' Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey. Also uh, winning big awards, the New York Times and the Washington Post sharing a prize for national reporting for scoops about Russian interference in the U.S. elections and... Uh, also, you know, they give away the Pulitzer Prize for music, which has always, always, always gone to classical or yeah, jazz music. Yeah, Yesterday, right. they changed course. They issued a Pulitzer Prize for <laughs> Kendrick Lamar's rap album, Rapping. Damn. Yeah. It's yeah. the first time it's ever happened. And the, they kind of came out and said, this is certainly the time is right. And uh, and it signals a change for the Pulitzer Prizes. So big, big day for, yeah, for big. our industry yesterday. Also, the Washington Post got a prize for its reporting on uh, Roy Moore. Yeah. The sex scandal for Roy Moore. So yeah. all, all in all, it's a big day for journalism. I want to ask you about this question, Bill, because in California, yes. they have gotten over 600,000 signatures on an initiative, which means it will qualify for the November ballot to split California into three different states. This is not new. This has been around for a while, but it's right. from Silicon yeah. Valley uh, idea uh, from uh, venture capitalist Tim Draper. Will it happen? Is it a good idea? Uh, it'll be on the ballot. It's not a good idea. The best idea is just for California and Oregon and Washington to secede from the nation. <laughs> right. I'm so like forget the, splitting California. Just have right. their own nation on the West Coast. Yeah. Call it Ecotopia. <laughs> I'm... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm the Rick Perry of secession on the West Coast. On oh, the West Coast? <laughs> the left coast, as yeah. it were? Well, yeah. there you go. So it doesn't sound like it's actually going to happen if I'm listening to you. Not going to happen. Yeah, okay. All right. Not in three parts. <laughs> Maybe in half. Sure. No. no, the whole thing. Secession's better. This is the Bill Press Show. And the mystery client is Sean Hannity. <laughs> Can you believe it? What do you say? Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Tuesday, April 17. Great to see you today. Here we go with the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as always. And joining you wherever you are in this great land of ours, we are there with you on uh, online, on the radio, and on television, bringing you the news of the day, what's happening here in Washington, what's happened up in New York, in a courtroom in New York, where lots of the big news was made yesterday, lots of surprises. Uh, the news from Mar-a-Lago, where the president is hiding out while James Comey launches his book tour officially today. The book officially comes out today. Higher loyalty. Uh, and the news from the rest of the country around the country and around the globe. We'll bring it to you. You tell us what it all means to you. You know how to do so. Go on Twitter, at BP Show. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And uh, as we say, reaching out to you on every platform we can, online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And don't forget, our podcast. Podcast is growing like a gourd in the night, as Kerry McWilliams once said about California. Uh, you can catch our podcast at thebillpressshow.com or wherever you find your podcast. 
because you can't listen to everything I know every morning. You miss part of the show. You can't stay out for all two hours, not in the car that long or whatever. Podcast, podcast, podcast later in the day for the best clips of the show or for the entire show. And, of course, joining you on television, on Free Speech TV, and on the great WCPT out in Chicago, greater Chicago area, uh, and Indiana Talks in uh, the state of Indiana. Yes, indeed. You know, I, I thought the CNN headline this morning sums it up. The CNN headline is, Trump can't escape his tabloid past. Think about it. Trump can't escape his tabloid past. So here we are. We got the porn star. We got the president. We got the playboy model. We got this sleazy attorney. And now we've got the mystery client, Sean Hannity. If that doesn't make for a great TV show or movie or novel, I don't know what does. And it is happening in real life right before our eyes. Yeah, it is in real life and involving the president of the United States who is drugged or dragged, whatever, his tabloid past right into the White House. So I'm speaking, of course, referring to the scene yesterday in New York where, get this, okay, Michael Cohen and his attorneys, Donald Trump and his attorneys, go in front of a judge, Kimball Wood, and ask the judge to let them decide what the FBI can see and what the FBI can't see out of all the documents and the electronic devices they seized last Monday, April 16, no, I'm sorry, uh, Monday before, April 9, uh, from the office and the home and the hotel room of Michael Cohen. Uh, And the judge, so, and the main motion was the president's motion. His attorney said the president will settle for nothing less than that he, Donald Trump himself, gets to go through all these documents, go through all this this computer and the iPhones and everything, and he decides, he decides what the FBI can see and what the FBI cannot see. In other words, his attorneys were really arguing, the president's attorneys, that he is above the law, that before law enforcement gets to do its job, the president decides what they can see and what they can't see. And the judge said, basically, are you out of your freaking mind? <laughs> I mean, she didn't use those words, but she said, no effing way. She didn't use those words either. Uh, <laughs> she just said no. Okay, Like that judge. Mind. Right. Now, she did hold open the possibility that to, to, to be, she said she wanted to be sure, she was showing no bias in this, in this uh, case, that she would appoint a master counsel or some third independent party to look at the stuff first and decide what, what fits and what doesn't fit under attorney-client privilege, which would be fair. Uh, and by the way, as even Chris Christie has pointed out, and as we've discussed, uh, that's normally what happens when the FBI seizes documents like this. They have a crew come in called the Taint Crew, an uh, attorney we had in last week explained that to us, and they review and say, okay, this should be set aside. This is private, but this, all the rest of this stuff isn't. But at any rate, it was a big defeat in the courts yesterday for the President of the United States uh, and his attorneys and for D- Michael Cohen 
and his attorneys. But that wasn't the real heart of the action was. And by the way, at that hearing, uh, showing again that they are every bit as savvy as Michael, as uh, Donald Trump in terms of playing the media, who shows up at the hearing? Uh, Stormy Daniels with her attorney, Michael Avenatti. And of course, she goes in front of the cameras, and so does Michael Avenatti, her attorney, uh, who said uh, that, first of all, this this whole uh, situation here, it's not just a problem for Michael Cohen, it's a problem for his number one client. Depending on what is contained within those documents, I think there is significant danger to the president. Yes, he uh, and he called Michael Cohen, the president's attorney, toxic. Uh, and said that, uh, you know, what, what his role was, his role was clearly fix it for Donald Trump. The president trusted Mr. Cohen as his fixer for years. He trusted him with his innermost secrets, and I think that the chickens are about to come home to roost. <laughs> I call. He's I out, love it. He's out in the street in front of the courtroom. It's a classic New Everybody York. Everybody knows him. It was a classic New York scene. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, uh, by the way, when I was in, uh, I, uh, I mentioned before, when I was in L.A. Uh, Friday night, I, uh, Carol and I had dinner with a couple of friends, uh, and Michael Avenatti, I knew that my, my friend knew Michael Avenatti. I didn't realize they were actually law partners together. They were in the same law firm. And he said, this guy is absolutely a killer. He is smart. He is tough. And he uh, takes no prisoners, right? Um, so uh, he was telling a little bit about his experience uh, working with him. And, and by the way, just a little tangent there. I think yesterday makes us appreciate, I would hope makes us appreciate again, the checks and balances that we have in our system of government, the checks and balances that were built into the Constitution. Because... Donald Trump's tried to get, do a lot of stuff, and he has gotten away with a lot of stuff. But in several big cases and in, in, in instances, it's the courts. He hasn't done so well in the courts. Remember the Muslim ban. He still doesn't have it in full because of the courts. Uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, Donald, I mean, Scott Pruitt is trying to do at EPA hasn't happened really. Not because Trump and Pruitt don't want it, but because the courts have said, no, you didn't do it the right way. Uh, and uh, we saw again yesterday where the courts have stepped in and said, no, 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 you're not above the law. No, you don't get to decide uh, what the FBI can see and what can't see. So just a, just a word that, thank God, the courts are there when you've got a madman and a strongman uh, and a playboy like Donald Trump. But the big surprise happened in the courtroom when there is this mystery client. Cohen says, I'm here on behalf of three clients. And the judge says, okay, Donald Trump is one. Elliot Brody from the RNC, for whom uh, Michael Cohen arranged a $1.6 million payment to a former Playboy uh, model uh, who was impregnated by Mr. Brody. Uh, and then a third client. And, and uh, Michael Cohen's attorney said, well, we can't, to the judge, we can't tell you the name of the third client because he doesn't want his name released. And she says, what do you mean? And, the, and his attorney says, well, he, sa he asked us not to release his name because he would be embarrassed to have his name publicly known. And the judge said, so that's not good enough. That's no excuse. 
Yeah, what, what, if I, you want me to rule, I want to know who the client is. I, I'd love to be able love, to use that as yeah, an excuse, yeah. like if I were to ever go to court and the just say, arrogance. Your Honor, uh, please don't find me guilty of this. It would be highly embarrassing. The to arrogance me. of it, right? <laughs> yeah. And of course, it turns out that the client is Sean Hannity, who is not just friendly to Donald Trump, not just, a, I mean, he has a dinner at the White House with Donald Trump. He's a dinner at Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump. Trump tweets out, you've got to watch Hannity's show. I mean, he is he is really gone way, way I, I can't believe that even Fox allows this. He is so far into Donald Trump's fox, foxhole. And um, so uh, Hannity, of course, when this raid happened last Monday, Hannity denounced it on the air as an unbelievable abuse of power. He didn't mention it's my attorney, too. Didn't mention that relationship. So no wonder he would have been embarrassed to have it come out yesterday. And it did. And then he insists, oh, it, he wasn't really my attorney. He was just he was just my he was just my buddy. Michael never represented me in any matter. I never retained him in the in the traditional sense as retaining a lawyer. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he says, of course, he uh, never paid him, never got a bill. I never received an invoice from Michael. I never paid legal fees to Michael. Uh, but I have occasionally had brief discussions with him about legal questions about which I wanted his input and perspective. And I assume that those conversations were attorney-client confidential. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, don't you, you just feel bad for Sean Hannity, Bill? Doesn't just yeah. break your heart. But you know the thing about the more Sean Hannity talks, the more he destroys the president's attorneys, the president's own arguments, right? I mean, clearly, if you call up a guy on the phone and you don't, you've never established a relationship that he is your attorney. There's no attorney-client relationship. I mean, so he, he's just undercutting everything the president's attorneys were trying to say yesterday. And let me tell you something else. If you believe that, you're a fool. I'm, I'm telling you. Why would— How Mike, many times do these guys have to get caught in a lie before yeah, you just realize yeah. that they are liars? Sean Hannity is lying. You know—I I, I don't know this for a fact. All I know is we know what Michael Cohen's specialty was. His specialty was a hush money. To Stormy Daniels, hush money. To Karen McDougal, hush money. To this other woman that Elliot Brody's girlfriend. I'm not saying Sean Hannity was all I'm, but was that had the same um, need for Michael Cohen's services. All I am saying is we know Michael Cohen is a one-trick pony. That's his specialty. Why would you go to him for anything other than that? Oh yeah, I want his advice on real estate deals. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Sure. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, Sean. Uh -huh. You know, like nobody this... deserves to be humiliated more Amen. than Sean Hannity. Amen. Such Amen. a self-righteous, arrogant. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy yeah. this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to enjoy watching him go down. Just let him twist in the wind. But the thing is, right, it's obviously salacious and it's fascinating. Who's had some bad things to say about me, by the way? Sometimes. Yeah, sure. Of course he has. But the thing the thing about this is, ju just, just on its face, right, you have the President of the United States and 
a television personality sharing a lawyer. And you have that television personality going out and giving cover by lying about the president of the United States. Again, they share a lawyer. You have the president of the United States telling everybody his sizable Twitter audience to go and watch this particular host. Again, they share a a lawyer. lawyer. Now, I'm no legal expert, but I have seen some legal experts uh, on on Twitter and online who have kind of said, we are getting into the territory now of criminal conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Because if you have, I mean, if you, again, like they 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 work they 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 share this lawyer, they're conspiring about how to lie to the American people together. Right, right. So first, you've got the criminal conspiracy between Trump and Cohen. I think that's established. Th- th- that, that's a whole that, separate thing. Yes, but yeah, that's already that's done. established. Now you add Sean Hannity to the mix, and you add Fox News, and you add his constant, constant defense of Donald Trump, praise of Donald Trump, giving personal advice to Donald Trump before his show, after his show, over dinner, over cocktails, and the whole thing. Uh, and uh, this is uh, this is bad news for the whole gang. Uh, a, a huge, a huge setback uh, for Donald Trump uh, yesterday. And, and meanwhile, related to this, by the way, we touched on this just briefly, but I looked into it a little bit more yesterday. You know, maybe the biggest story of all, which uh, which is not getting as much coverage as it should, is this McClatchy report that Michael Cohen, the same Michael Cohen we've been talking about, actually did go to Prague, even though he denies it. That he went to Prague in the heat of the 2016 campaign, August or September. That he's right, his passport doesn't show that he ever went to Prague. But that he got there and went there from Germany. So he's already in the EU. He doesn't need to get his passport stamped at the border if he crosses from Germany uh, into Prague, which McClatchy reports that he did. And the reason that's significant is, number one, because it proves, again, that Michael Cohen is lying when he says he's never been to Prague in his entire life. McClatchy says, yes, he was there. Uh, Was he there to talk with Russian operatives? That's what Christopher Steele said in his dossier. And the White House has said, and Trump has said, the proof that the Steele dossier, which includes the PP tape, remember, that that dossier is totally bogus is because of this one fact, this one assertion that Michael Cohen, president's attorney, goes to Prague in the the summer of 2016 to meet with Russian operatives in Prague. So if McClatchy is right, then Cohen is lying, Trump is lying, Trump is wrong, and the Steele dossier is bona fide. At least that major part of it, which they identified as that one flaw, one undeniable flaw, they said. Well, if that falls, then I think the whole Steele dossier gets certified. I mean, basically bona fide, including... The famous tape. I mean, nothing has been refuted yet. I mean, the tape, no, the just, tape. We don't know if it's out there or not, right? Right, right. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But every other piece has been corroborated. It's been backed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this Prague thing is probably the biggest part of it. 
So uh, keep keep your eye on this uh, Michael Cohen and the product thing. I think that's going to emerge as uh, really really important. Maybe the most important finding uh, of all. I can't but, decide. But you know, just think about this. This last week, I saw something this morning. Like everything exploded. You know, last week, right? Michael Cohen. I mean, for, we had <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, remember that? Uh, in front of the Senate, we had James Comey with his big uh, interview. Uh, it just goes on and on, right? I, I saw somebody Hard to keep up with. It's it's impossible to keep up with. I saw somebody saying about the Cohen thing. That this is the moment that a lot of people have been waiting for. Yeah, this yeah. Could, this really could be. I, I, look, I don't know, right? I, there have been a million quote unquote turning. White points House considers this more dangerous yeah. than the Robert Mueller investigation. I should tell you a lot. Yeah, and again, I come back to the, the Steve Collinson, our our good friend from CNN. His piece this morning, the headline. That headline on CNN online, Trump can't escape his tabloid past. I think that says it so well. Again, you got the president, you got the porn star, you got the playboy model, you got the shifty attorney, and you got the mystery client, Sean Hannity. You wrap those all together, man. This is a three-ring circus. Uh, Meanwhile, Trump is down at Mar-a-Lago this week trying to hide out uh, while James Comey um, officially starts his book tour today even though it really started Sunday night with that interview on ABC. Uh, And Donald Trump jumping in yesterday, uh, accusing, (laughs) he said, why isn't Comey in jail? He has committed so many crimes. Name (laughs) one. Name one, right. I just, you know, uh, I said yesterday, if Trump were smart, he wouldn't say anything about the Comey book. Of course, he's not smart. He can't help himself. And he sends out his White House flunkies uh, to do the same thing. This is rich. This is really rich. So we got the uh, deputy deputy press secretary, right? The third down the chain, Jay Hogan Gridley, who says this this is the classic, classic response uh, to somebody who criticizes you and you know you can't deny what they say is true, so you just deny their motives. Here he is. He doesn't have the the best interest of the American people uh, at at heart. Instead, uh, he's doing what's best for James Comey and trying to make money and sell books. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Uh, saying about that of James Comey. Uh, And then, I love this. Uh, Now, remember, this is the spokesperson for Donald Trump accusing somebody else of being self-righteous. Only in Washington, D.C. could someone with that record be paraded around town as the paragon of virtue, uh, trying to uh, appear as though... Uh, he he knows better than all people. He's so self-righteous in this interview, and it, it looks really bad for him. Oh, yeah, it looks really bad for him. That was mm-hmm. written by Trump. Like, that yeah, sounds right. like it was written by Trump. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. Oh, Comey. It looks really bad for him. Yeah. By the way, so, oh, uh, yeah, Comey, no paragon of virtue, as if Donald Trump is a paragon of virtue. I'm telling you, this comedy just writes itself. Like every day. Literally. You know? Okay. Now, um, we might add there is something else out there, which, except for this stuff, which is all, by the way, of Donald Trump's making, right? Can't blame anybody else. This is all self generated sleaze on the part of the <clears throat> tabloid king, Donald Trump. Um, what would have been the big story today otherwise is the sanctions against Russia announced yesterday. Oh, you didn't hear? Oh, yeah. Donald Trump said, the White House said, we're going to have Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley said, we're going to have him on Monday. The ambassador to the U.N. said, 
we're not going to stop with these cruise missiles against Syria. Uh-uh. We're going to follow up. We got these tough, tough additional sanctions against Russia. We're going to announce them. They're going to be announced on Monday. Moscow even responded and blasted the United States for for uh, uh, putting more sanctions on. And then what happened? It got to the president's desk, and yesterday he suddenly said, uh, no, we're not going to do that. Totally reversed. This is like a couple of months ago when the White House announced he was going to sign a bill, and the president woke up and said, no, I decided I'm not going to sign it after all. He then ended up signing it. But on the sanctions, no, the president himself said, no, I'm not going to do that to my buddy Vlad, which again raises the question, why the soft treatment of Vladimir Putin? Or the real question is, what does Putin have on Trump? That he still hasn't condemned Russia for interfering in the election. He still hasn't acknowledged that Russia tried to interfere with our 2016 election. He, he still hasn't done anything about Crimea, still hasn't done anything about the Ukraine, still hasn't done anything about the fact that we know right now that Russia is already meddling in the 2018 presidential election. And every time it gets up to doing something tough against Russia, Donald Trump says, no, we're not going to do that because we need good relations with Russia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still say there's, there's, there's something there. There's either the tape or there's he owes the money. Uh, who knows? There's something That's a thing. It could be there. any number of things. Yeah. Right. Really could. Peter, you mentioned a little bit earlier. I just wanted to run through again. And congratulations to our uh, good friends at the New York Times and the Washington Post and the New Yorker. A Pulitzer Prize was announced yesterday. I think it's very significant what these prizes went for. Uh, yeah. the New Yorker and the New York Times won the Pulitzer Prize for Public Service for their reporting on the whole Me Too scandal, starting with Harvey Weinstein. Ronan Farrow, you know, looks like he's 12 years old, but you know, great reporting for the New Yorker. I, re- I forget where he took that originally. I think it was to NBC, it wasn't was it? It was to NBC. NBC. And they said no. They said no. He took it to the New Yorker. David Remnick said yes, and uh, it was a powerful powerhouse piece. Got the Pulitzer Prize for it, as well as for a couple of reporters from the New York Times, who also did great work on that. The Washington Post and the New York Times got the National Reporting uh, Award Pulitzer Prize for their coverage of the Russian meddling in the 2016 election. (laughs) The same thing that Donald Trump still will not recognize, right? Uh, And then the Washington Post got the Pulitzer Prize also for its reporting on, and it's they're the ones who first broke the story of uh, Roy Moore in Alabama. Uh, and his preying on uh, underage girls back when he was a U.S. attorney uh, or an attorney down there. I mean, so, you know, we 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 usually talk excellent about... reporting. Uh, really, good. I I've said this before. I sorry, just finish that. That under Donald Trump, we've seen the best yeah. investigative reporting since Watergate. We talk about the Pulitzer prizes whenever they happen every year, right? Yeah. And and I can't think of a year that the reporting has had a bigger impact than this year. I mean, the Me Too movement that started you know at the end of last year and we're still living in that moment yeah uh the russia investigation i mean we're still i mean we're, uh, we're right in the middle of it and last year remember uh who's uh, david farenholt who's been yeah. a, a guest in studio with us who got the pulitzer prize for his reporting on uh donald trump um 
Donald Trump's lies, basically. Yeah. Starting with the lie that he raised all this money for Finances, veterans. Finances, yeah. When he, in fact, uh, hadn't raised a dime. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so Donald Trump's become um, a great target and has inspired some great investigative reporting. I might add, none of which has been proven false. Au, au contraire, a lot of which now has been been recognized as such incredible reporting, it deserves a Pulitzer Prize. Donald yeah. Trump has inspired some great reporting. I think that's mm-hmm. the nicest thing you've ever said about Donald Trump. <laughs> Thank you, Donald. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you, Donald. All right. Uh, quick break here. We'll come back. For, uh, talk more about uh, the big news yesterday. Michael Cohen and Donald Trump and Sean Hannity. Andrew Restucia joins us from Politico, White House reporter. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. All right, here we are on a tax day. <laughs> How about it? Tax day 2018. Pay your taxes with a smile. I already have. Uh, and of course, we got to delay a tax day because the 15th was Sunday. Yesterday was Emancipation Day in Washington, D.C. So they couldn't have, couldn't make yesterday tax day. So it's officially uh, today. And um, we collect all the taxes we can here uh, on the show, which is why Andrew Restuccia from Politico has come in today uh, <laughs> to pay his share of taxes. Hello, Andrew. It's hey, good to see how's you. How's it going? All right. Everything's good. Um, we've been at it for a while. By the way, so we're now just three days, Peter, from? 420. 420. 420, blaze it. Yeah, that's our day, the <laughs> national holiday here on the uh, on the Bill Press Show, which we're going to celebrate. We were, we are going to be celebrating. We're going to be putting up a special video that you can only watch if you subscribe to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash BP show. Um, I'm about to roll a couple of joints. Uh, we're going to have some guests. Aren't you going to save that for the tape? For the show? Well, I'll have them rolled in time for the oh, show. Okay. I'm not going to smoke them during this show. We'll, we'll save them for later on. Okay. Uh, we've got some special guests that are going to be coming in. We're going to be smoking some joints. Uh, I, apparently, there will be some dabs. Uh, fo- our friend Phone Homie is going to be coming in. He's going to bring in his dab rig uh, to take some concentrated weed, which is not something that I'm all that familiar with, but what the hell, right? Uh, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> but you could only get okay. the video if you subscribe to our Patreon page, which, by the way, we have lots of videos up on our Patreon page. Uh, we, you just did the interview with Colin O'Mara from the National Wildlife Federation mm-hmm. about Earth Day, which is coming up this weekend. <laughs> uh, he talks all about sort of where we are now and what Scott Pruitt has done with the EPA. Uh, right. that's, you can only get that again if you're on uh, Patreon.com slash BP show. But the 420 show is the big draw. It's the only place that you can watch it is uh, is on our Patreon page. So uh, check it out. Uh, and watch us all get high on the air. Okay, good. Yes. So <laughs> By we the got, way, that's uh, enough for that. Uh, there we go. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. worth so, watching. So we have uh, uh, 420 and Earth Day both this week. Yeah. And both special videos up on Patreon. Both on Patreon. Yeah, we put new stuff up every single week. By the way, we are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. A couple of comments. Uh, from people who have already chimed in watching the show or listening to the show today. Phil says, Jefferson once said, you get the government you deserve, and we're certainly seeing that play out now with Donald Trump. Uh, no, I, we don't deserve <laughs> Donald Trump. No, disagree. Our buddy Romaine talks about the Michael Cohen in Prague. He says, yeah, I did that all the time. You could cross over from Germany. I did it when I was active duty Navy. It's really not that hard. 
No, if you're in the EU, you don't have to show your passport or get your passport stamp when you go from country to country. Right. Uh, also, uh, Mountain Bob on Twitter says, I just want to know what the fixer, Michael Cohen, the fixer, has fixed for Sean Hannity. Uh, that's Don't a very we good all? Question. Yeah, <laughs> well, wouldn't, wouldn't we all like to know that? And another uh, comment from our chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Uh, one, of, uh, one of our viewers saying Hannity never was a journalist. He came to talk radio from DJing, he came to prominence as Rush Limbaugh's fill in. If you have any comments, find us on Twitter or in the chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, or as I mentioned on Twitter, at BP Show. Yeah, I think Sean actually got started. Uh, at UC Santa Barbara on on talk radio as a, really? as a student at UC Santa Barbara. I believe so. I have to go back and yeah, I'll check. I'll have to but, check it out. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Restuccia, nice to see you with your Nats cap on. And yeah. how about that pulling out win last night? I know, yeah. At the, uh, it's been a good, it's been good so far. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, yeah. what, 50-50 at best, right. aren't at least, they? Yeah, at least last night. Yeah, yeah but last yeah. night they pulled that out. Looked like uh, last time I checked it was 6-1, to one, and right. they ended up winning 8-6. to six. Mm-hmm. Here, I don't here's know a, how, but Here's a terrifying stat. Uh-oh. The yeah. Nationals have been out of first place more days in the first couple of weeks of this season than they were the entire two years that Dusty Baker was manager. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. it's still early, so we get time. Uh, yeah, it's it's do. early. It's early. But I, I I have to tell you, as far as my wife Carol is concerned, who is a in, in a diehard Nats fan, it's all because they fired Dusty Baker. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hear her say that ten times a day. <laughs> uh, so uh, not a good day for the president's uh, forces up in uh, New York uh, Superior Court yesterday, huh? No, not at all. I mean, so I was speaking with my colleague who was there in the courtroom yesterday, and she described the moment where uh, one of Cohen's lawyers uh, revealed the Sean Hannity information, and she said it was just like a movie. There was a a gasp in the crowd. Uh, You really couldn't uh, write anything better, you know. Uh, and, um, And Hannity asked Michael Cohen, not to reveal his name, right? Because he said he would be embarrassed by the right, so. and you know, obviously they tried not to, uh, but they were compelled to do it. Um, and you saw sort of an interesting moment where Sean Hannity was, I think, on his actual radio show when the news broke, and he described seeing his own name on his on Fox News, his 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 own channel, and how surreal that was for him. Right. Uh, so now he's trying to have it in a sense both ways, right? Uh, Peter, if we can, that little that first clip of uh, of uh, Hannity from from yesterday, uh, saying, "Yeah, I talked to him, but he still wasn't my lawyer." Officially. Michael never represented me in any matter. I never retained him in the in the traditional sense as retaining a lawyer. And yet, at the same time, he says, "I assumed that all those conversations were attorney-client privilege." Right. So if he wasn't his attorney. And they didn't have any official relationship. How can he claim attorney-client privilege? You know, it, I mean, it is confusing. But I mean, there it, there is sort of a gray area legally here, right? <laughs> and and you, you hear about this a lot. Exactly, you know, in what capacity uh, is the lawyer representing you? When does it become official? Uh, when does money exchange hands? Uh, so there are some some questions. But it is di- kind of a difficult thing for him to make that case if he's if he's saying both things at the same time, right? Uh, and the the president's attorneys were there saying that the president should have first call, basically, on whatever the FBI sees. That he, I, I, I saw one quote where his attorney 
actually said something like the president will settle for nothing less than he himself decides what the FBI gets to see and what the FBI doesn't get to see. Right. It's a it's an unusual argument considering this is a you know federal criminal investigation. Um, <laughs> uh, and the argument that the president has been putting forward from the beginning and, and Cohen as well is that the attorney client privilege is being sort of flouted here. Um, of course, if there is sort of evidence of criminal wrongdoing, attorney client privilege wouldn't apply in this case to begin with. Um, and obviously the, the president's uh, team's argument didn't uh, didn't Did, really pan out. Uh, yeah. uh, right. Didn't win the day. But it, it also is um, basically saying that the president is above the law, right? I mean, if, if you were stopped for just a traffic violation, and as they do, the cop gets your paper and then goes in to check online what other, what might be, what your record is, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like saying, no, I get to look first, right? I want to see what's in the computer. Then I'll let you see what I decide you can see. None of us would have that op right or opportunity or privilege, and why should the president have it? I mean, any of our lawyers could make that argument in court if they True. wanted to. They, yeah, might not, right. they might not win, and clearly in yeah. this case they didn't win. I mean, there is a you know a legitimate argument that's being made here about, okay, well, if you swept off all this material, how do we know what applies to this case and what applies to you know right. uh, Cohen's right. other clients or things that are unrelated to this case? And the uh, FBI and the Justice Department has basically said, we're going to put together a team which, that is walled off totally from the investigation. Which they always do, which by is, the way. And this is, this is, this is normal practice. Standard practice, practice right. Um, and we're going to go through all this material, and, and then we'll hand off the material that is relevant to the case to the right. team right. that is doing the investigation. Right. Right. Um, Cohen and the president weren't satisfied with that. Uh, they want special treatment. Right, uh, yeah. but but you know that so, the, they have said that that this is what we do in, in all of the all of these sort of cases. Right. So um, you cover the White House for Politico. Um, what do the white What does the White House think about um, the risk, if you will, of um, what's happening with Michael Cohen? This whole New York scene, uh, uh, and 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 how does it compare to the Robert Mueller scene, which let's right. not forget is also ongoing, and also a criminal <laughs> investigation. So I do think that they view the Cohen stuff as quite dangerous for them. Um, the Comey book, for example, was taking up a lot of the sort of, you know, media narrative discussion, and the president is sort of obsessed with it in his own way. But I think I've been told that the president himself and others in the White House view the Cohen stuff as sort of a much bigger issue longer term. And I don't know exactly if they're separating out the Mueller investigation from the Cohen stuff. I mean, they are separate, obviously, investigations, but I think they view them all as one and the same. And they and they also view that there's there's no way that they're going to be treated fairly. Uh, at least that's their perspective. Um, but I think you know the president's lawyers when the president's lawyer's office is raided by the FBI and his apartment and his hotel room, it it just isn't a good thing, uh, especially <laughs> considering the the relationship between. And, and this lawyer, and it was much more than a lawyer relationship. I mean, uh, he describes himself as a fixer for the president, and he's done, obviously, uh, whether in the president's name or not, he's done done quite a bit for him. And at least in the past, I mean, they've been very close. He's like, he's more right. than a lawyer. He's a close friend. They Definitely. have dinner together. Confidant, they travel, yeah. whatever, all that kind of And they of, yeah. even spoke after the raid, I mean, according to the New York Times, very, supposedly very briefly, but... Um, it's also a complicating factor here. Right. Well, Trump called them just to make sure you're doing okay, right? Or that's, that's what they say, yeah. <laughs> I would love to have been on that line. Uh, wouldn't would, <laughs> we all? Andrew Rastuccia from Politico, politico.com, covering the White House uh, for Politico. And as you just mentioned, uh, the president, I guess he could have chosen just not to say anything about the Comey book, but 
That, of course, would not be his style. It's funny, you know, I keep thinking that, like, why didn't he just not take the bait? You know, he really could have um, minimized the story to a huge degree by just not tweeting about it. Um, but, but he you, just can't help himself. I mean, this and you he knew he would. Yeah. We all knew he would. And the, and the president has said time and time again, when someone hits you, you hit them back twice as hard. Um, and that's that's not only his strategy; that is like a core part of his belief system. Um, and he obviously is doing that. But I, I, I mean, Comey Comey's interview with ABC that that ran on Sunday. Uh, there's there's uh, there's several more uh, that are coming down in the next couple of days. I mean, the story isn't going away, and the president has not obviously succeeded in minimizing Comey in any way. Um, and in fact, he's only sort of further inflamed the story by by going and tweeting about it. Right, and sending his uh, White House staff out to do uh, to do that as well. Uh, I, I don't. There was no briefing yesterday, right? Because no, of, there was no briefing yesterday. But you saw Kellyanne Conway basically kick off the day with a very sort of. Uh, another harsh critique of him on, uh, on com- cable news. Exactly. Uh, I saw that yesterday morning. And then Jay Hogan Gridley, mm-hmm. number three, I think, right, after Sarah and yep. Raj, uh, came out yesterday um, with the classic um, criticism of anybody uh, who has written a critical book. Here is Jay Hogan Gridley. He doesn't have the, the best interest of the American people uh, Gidley, at, at heart. Instead, uh, he's doing what's best for James Comey and trying to make money and sell books. Right. And uh, uh, continuing, uh, I, I love this, that uh, someone working for Donald Trump actually accusing somebody else of being self-righteous. Here's, here's Gidley. Yeah. Only in Washington, D.C. could someone with that record be paraded around town as the paragon of virtue, uh, trying to uh, appear as though uh, he, he knows better than all people. He's so self-righteous in this interview, and it, it looked really bad for him. I mean— uh, Who's you know, the paragon could... of virtue here? I'm not saying that Comey is uh, entirely, but certainly Donald Trump isn't. And this argument that, I mean, it's, it is possible, of course, to be selling a book. He's obviously trying to sell a book, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. be telling so a, a true story. So right, I. exactly. Did you hear about my book? <laughs> <laughs> From yeah. the left? It doesn't automatically discredit you, right? I mean, there's been you know many, many books that were written that were that were true, that have that their authors have gone on book tours. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a cheap shot, but you hear it all the time, you know, right. whatever. Oh, they're just trying to sell books, yeah. No, he's got a, I think it's a, a more, he's got a more important message than that. Uh, and and, and uh, Comey at times can appear a little self-righteous. Yeah, but, I think there is a risk that he's sort of oversaturating himself uh, on some level at this point, right? I mean, he, that that he could, well, public opinion could could begin to turn on him um, by the degree to which he's just everywhere at the moment. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that. You know, the New York Times has a piece on the front page this morning about it's uh, Comey's star. Here's the headline. Comey's star, turn, Comey's star turn may spoil his carefully cultivated image. And his image is of a sort of an above-the-fray professional sort of church boy type church guy, boy yeah. law enforcement official right and then he writes this book but in addition to talking about the president and putting pressure on him to drop the investigation and all that stuff which he thought was on 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 whatever um unfit um he gets into the president's complexion his hair his small hands you mm-hmm. know that kind of personal stuff which I think detracts a little bit from Comey's message. Yeah, I agree, and I was surprised to see that in the book. Uh, I mean, on, on some level, 
you know, I mean, this is, I can't get in his head, but I mean, you know, publisher of a book, you know, wants you to put things in it that are going to get attention for the book, right? And that certainly got attention. I thought there was lots uh, of other stuff that got attention. You right. didn't need that. Yeah. And I think uh, it does sort of make you or make people question the messenger a little bit when there are these cheap shots that are taken. Um, and it also just totally infuriated the president and caught the staff of the White House off guard. Um, and that was the thing that really put the president over the edge. I mean, he expected all the other stuff because all the other stuff was out there already. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't expect and and the White House did not expect uh, such personal uh, criticism of the president. And it, and it just builds this case for the, for the White House. It makes it easier for them to say, well, he just doesn't like, like the president, right? And there's a lot of uh, really... Um, uh, fawning descriptions of, of President Barack Obama in there uh, as well. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's hard to didn't. I mean, there are, there are pages upon pages of his of, about his relationship with with President Barack Obama, which I think it just makes it easier for the White House to make this case that he can't be trusted because he's just you know in the tank for Obama. Pretty you know, which I'm not saying that that's true, but you know, if if you want to pick and choose part, parts of the book. And he will be or is a witness in the Mueller investigation, correct? Call he me. is, uh, I mean, as far as we know, already. Yeah, think, I mean, right. He is at the center of all this, so there's there's no doubt that he that he's going to be part of the investigation, which also makes it a little bit more complicated that he's going on, you know, Morning Joe. Or right, you know. right. It, it it could undermine his credibility or uh, as a right as a. As but don't a, forget, I mean, he did take con contemporaneous notes during these interactions. Um, there is a lot of reason to uh, at least look seriously at what he what he has said. Mm -hmm. uh, Almost lost in this entire <laughs> attention to uh, what's happening with Michael Cohen and with James Comey's is the was the pardon of Scooter Libby, which yeah. came out of nowhere. Yeah, right. Do you, do you know? Have you been able to so to I've talked find to some, out I've, where it why why and who prompted it and so I've talked to some people in the White House who have said that this has been a discussion on and off for months. It's something that the president would bring up occasionally. I don't know exactly who um, was bringing it to the president's attention. Obviously, there's not a whole lot of love lost between the Bush people and mm. the Trump people. Right. Um, you know, the White House will deny this uh, forever, but it does seem on some level uh, that this is sending a message about um, how special prosecutors treat the people who get caught up in the investigations. It has to. Uh, the White House has repeatedly denied this, um, but I mean that to me is the most the simplest explanation for for why this was done. And the president does. I mean, the president does genuinely, as far as I can tell, believe that he's being unfairly, you know, maligned and attacked, and there are forces out to get him. And I think he sees and he saw <laughs> some sort of a sense of kinship with with this this Scooter Libby case. Um, but his statement that he put out about it was just not particularly helpful either. I mean, that, that he doesn't know Scooter Libby, but people have told me that yeah. you know he got a bad uh, a bad rap. I mean, I'd be willing to bet that Donald Trump had no idea who Scooter Libby was. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, I know. you think Libby, that if he read folks, a newspaper, he would Scooter help. Libby, folks, I love that cartoon. My favorite cartoon <laughs> on Saturday mornings. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he. Knew, I'm sure he knows. The basic uh, story. I, I don't know if he knows all. And he even basically admitted in that statement that he doesn't yeah, know the substance doesn't know. of it. Right, right. right. But, um, which isn't but helping again, somebody the had case. This, uh, somebody, somebody oh, I, I certainly believe on his own he didn't say, hey, I want to do something for this guy, Scooter Libby. I've wanted all my life to help him or something. Right. Somebody came. Somebody took that to him. And I think it was a message to people like Michael Cohen and others, maybe too late for a Michael Flynn, to say – 
don't cooperate, don't worry about it, whatever they do, you know, I got your back. Well, that's the biggest fear for this White House, but one of the biggest fears, I shouldn't even say biggest, there's so many, but <laughs> that the there are a lot of people who have decided to cooperate with, with Robert Mueller already before the Scooter Libby stuff, right? Right. Um, and uh, that's a terrifying prospect when you have people that you used to feel were loyal to you now being loyal to uh, the special prosecutor and doing everything they can to avoid uh, jail time. Right. Uh, and the other thing which uh, the uh, maybe lost on the Trump White House, I thought the irony of the fact that the very day he condemns and attacks James Comey and calls him a leaker and a liar— he pardons Scooter Libby, who was convicted of leaking and lying. It's not great optics. It's not great optics. <laughs> I sure. mean, do they yeah. ever anybody stop to think, mm, maybe, but you know, this the, is a, sending a contradictory message? The thing is with this White House is when the president decides to do something uh, and he has really decided to do it, there's very little that his communication staff or others can do to change his mind. I mean, the the idea that you'd go to the president and say, well, you know, the optics aren't great right now because of the leaking comparison, I mean, that's just not going to work. I mean, if he, if he has decided something, it's it's, it's happening. Now, strangely, with, with some of the Russia stuff, that has not been the case. Uh, his team has been able to sort of tamp down some of his impulses on that issue. Well, we thought until uh, yesterday. Until, yesterday, until right. yesterday. In fact, we're going to be talking more. Kevin Barron's joining us from Defense One. Uh, for the next half hour on the whole serious situation. But while you're here, because you cover the White House, let me get your take. I mean, so here again, this has happened before. Officially, the administration, in this case, it was Ambassador Nikki Haley, who was a proper spokesperson for that, make to make that statement, announces that we're going to, uh, it's not just going to be missiles raining down on Syria. Mm -hmm. We're going to clamp down on Russia because they enabled the strike, this this uh, chemical weapons attack, and we're going to uh, we're going to announce these new sanctions on on Russia, and we're going to do it on Monday. And then yesterday, the president said, "Nope, changed my mind, right? Or yeah. don't agree." And they, so the official story from the White House is that the yeah, president never say? actually signed off on those sanctions. There was a sort of a miscommunication where it was implied to Nikki Haley that they were ready to go, and, and they actually weren't. Um, I think this really stems from the president's sense that he doesn't like to be to feel like his staff is boxing him in on policy issues. Um, and you know he felt very strongly that he wasn't ready to pull the trigger. And when Nikki Haley went, on, went out on TV and said that, he, he doubled down and said, okay, no, I'm definitely not ready because he doesn't want his staff to direct what's going on. This also, though, that there is a backstory here, which is that the president, as the Washington Post first reported, was furious uh, about the decision to expel 60, uh, the U.S. decision to expel 60 Russian diplomats. Um, he believed that every country in the EU was, in the European Union, individually was going to also do 60. And in fact, it was just collectively they did 60. And he was furious about that because he felt like his staff misled him to convince him to take an aggressive line on Russia. Um, oh, I hadn't heard that story. Yeah. yeah, and so this is uh, so this this sort of there were still well, some sore feelings there, and he was, and I think he's just been feeling generally like he doesn't want his staff to sort of manipulate him into doing to doing anything, and he has been consistently, obviously, very cautious to take aggressive action on on Russia, um, and Nikki Haley has been much more sort of vocal uh, in terms of her criticism at the United Nations. So it, it kind of begs the question: Who's running the store? 
Anybody? I mean, obviously, President Trump is, right? I mean, he, he nixed the sanctions yesterday, and, and he could have just decided, but, okay, well, Nikki already put it out on TV. I'm going to go. I'm but isn't go it John Kelly's job to make sure that they're sort of speaking of one voice? Yeah, I mean, this is like, it wouldn't be the first time that there's a no, conflicting message but, coming from this administration. Um, and it also comes after Nikki Haley's, uh, one of Nikki, Nikki Haley's advisors who recently joined the vice president's office was right. uh, yeah. decided to basically take his name out of the running because the president himself doesn't like him. Um, and so it's, it's it'll be interesting to see what, what Nikki Haley's future is in this administration over the next couple of weeks and months. Yeah. This is Mike Pence hiring someone who used to work for Nikki Haley. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, you got to run fast to keep up with it, Andrew. And you do. <laughs> Great job at the White House. Thanks so much for coming in this morning. Thank you. As we mentioned, Kevin Barron from Defense One on where we go now in Syria. Coming up next. Stay tuned. We'll be right this back. This is the Bill Press Show. Writing a review and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. I did not have relations with that attorney, Michael Cohen. I want you to know, he was not my attorney. I was never his client. And I mean it. Hey, hello, everybody. Unlike Sean Hannity. What do you say? Great to see you. Happy Tuesday, April 17. It is tax day. Pay your taxes with a smile for all you get for that uh, dollar that you pay the federal government. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us wherever you are in this great land of ours. It's good to have you with us. As we will uh, romp through the news of the day with you, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to cover. Uh, almost impossible to keep up with all the news happening today. Uh, we can't do so without the help of uh, good friends. And we wanted to talk about Syria and Russia and beyond. Nobody better than Kevin Barron who's the executive editor at Defense One. Hello, Kevin. Good morning. Nice to see you this morning. Nice to see you, too. You're making the rounds. We saw you on MSNBC yesterday morning and, you know, here this morning. It's, it's been busy. It's been busy. You must have your own producer and booker. Right? <laughs> <laughs> <Telling> you. <laughs> and, and the paparazzi are out front waiting to grab right. you. On that. Now I just need someone to do my taxes today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> good to have you with us, and good to have all of you with us. Remember, you are, with all due respect, you out there are our most important guests. We love uh, having you with us uh, around the table and love hearing from you. Send us your comments on the news of the day on Twitter, at BP Show, as we join you online, on radio, and on television, coast to coast. So Kevin and I and you will jump right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. All the big stories right here. Just Uh come up with stories making news. Well, yesterday was the Boston Marathon, and it was a big day. How about that? Yeah. First of all, it was cold and It was cold. It was gloomy. Mm. It was rainy. But it didn't matter to the two winners. First of all, the men's winners. Uh, Yuki Kawuchi from Japan won running the race in two hours, 15 minutes, and 53 seconds. But the big story is the women's winner, Desiree yeah. Linden. She won two hours, 39 minutes, and 53 seconds. She is an yeah. American. She is the first American to win the Boston Marathon in 33 
years. Yeah, she almost won it either last year or yeah. a couple of years ago. She came but, close a couple yeah. years ago. It didn't look like she had a shot. About halfway through the race, uh, the runner from Ethiopia broke away from the pack and was way out there. But the steady pace sort of closed in and got caught up with her. And then Desiree Linden overtook wow. her to win the race. So, uh Pretty, pretty solid win, too. The second place winner was four minutes behind her. Mm. Uh, so she just dogged. She dogged. Peter, what's your personal best? My personal best? Uh, like three days. <laughs> three, 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 three days. Uh, Remember the SNL, the, the last guy that finishes the marathon? <laughs> that's right. That's Remember right. That clip? <laughs> uh, there Have is you ever done a marathon? No, I've done a half. That's really? Well, yeah, I did the half. Uh, Good for you. Yeah. Couple, the Army 10 miler here in town a couple times. Mm-hmm. That's I, enough. I feel confident in saying I'm never going to do a marathon. Like, I do triathlons. No shame, Peter. But I'm not going to do a marathon. <laughs> I don't need to run 26 miles. Yeah. Right? That's, that's not for me. There is a new trend. Neither am I. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> fair. Fair. Uh, there is a new trend among college students. They are showing up with their bedding, their laptop, their backpack, all the stuff that they need for their dorm, but they are also bringing with them their pets. Now, this is not something that has typically happened. A lot of dorms, they outlaw pets and outlaw animals, but they're saying that a lot of kids want to travel with their pets that they had when they were kids, bring them to college with them, and some schools are allowing them. Mm. Southeastern Southeastern Missouri State University uh, just changed their rule, uh, saying that they are allowing students to bring their pets. Like even snakes? Well, they they didn't necessarily say uh, what you can and can't bring. Boa. Here's I'm what, your roommate, and right. this is a, my pet boa. A giant snake. I remember that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so some of them said uh, dogs, cats, or quote small caged animals. So like hamsters or gerbils or oh, whatever. Get out. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't need that. I don't need that. Oh, dorms are disgusting. The yeah, dorms are, are disgusting enough as it is. You don't need animals <laughs> added to, like, the pe- pizza no. boxes, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, bong water. And, you know. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. I think the headline in the uh, C- on CNN this morning sort of sums it all up. Trump can't escape. His tabloid past. Add it all up. You got the president, the porn star, the playboy model, the sleazy attorney, and the mystery client, Sean Hannity. Boy, if that doesn't make a, a great novel or a great TV yeah, show. Who amongst I don't us know hasn't what had a... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> all of us. Great to see you today on a Tuesday, Tuesday, April 17, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, Reaching out to you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on Free Speech TV, Coast to Coast, and, uh, as if that's not good enough, also joining you on the radio out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT. And in studio with us, Executive Editor of Defense One, uh, Kevin Barron. So, Kevin, yesterday was the day we were going to see these tough new sanctions slapped on Russia for their role as an enabler in serious use of chemical weapons. What happened? Uh, the, the president found out about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, that's it. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I haven't tracked the details of the—I the, the, heard you talking last segment about the, the sanctions back and forth, but it seems like another case of someone in Trump's cabinet says, 
hey, we're going to do this thing. And then it's the opposite. It's the opposite of usually Trump tweets it and the rest of the cabinet goes, wait, what? Like, quick, we're going to we're going to go to war with Syria. Wait, what? We're yeah. going to drop missiles. Wait, what? So this was the other way around. was saying, yeah, the sanctions are coming. And the president goes, mm, I don't think so. But and it's no uh, surprise. He, he This is, you know, fits the pattern of he he you know, they, they act tough on Russia and in many ways they are. Uh, but when it gets close to the heart of uh, Putin, suddenly it doesn't happen. But it does look like that Trump is always hesitant or reluctant mm-hmm. to take any really tough steps against Russia. Now, we did expel 60 diplomats. Right? We did. So We did. And, you know, I, I'm a military reporter. And in our world, uh, you know, before Trump came to office, the previous administration started a buildup on the, on the eastern side of NATO, uh, on the border of Russia. And the president has continued it. Uh, you know, they have not pulled troops back or mm-hmm. softened exercises or turned tanks in the other direction. Um, that's still ongoing. So that's ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. Marines are are training up in the uh, the north in Norway, and we're partnering with Estonia on cyber things, and we're running strikers up and down the board. I mean, all across the eastern flank of NATO, uh, this, the presence is strong and trying to prepare just in case. Why is that? Do we it's also, really? It's deterrence show of force since Putin, you know, ran into into Ukraine years ago. Um, it's just been a it, it's been a renewal and a message to show, you know, the resolve of the NATO alliance. So do we expect uh, Russia to attempt some some more expansion westward? No, I don't think uh, nobody does. I think, you know, Putin tested, you know, got what he wanted and that's all he wanted. um, But still have to show that force. Does Russia still have Trumps in eastern Ukraine? Say again? Does Does Russia still have some troops? I'm sorry, in eastern Ukraine? Uh, Sure. Sure. I'm, I'm not talking Crimea. I mean, uh, that oh, disputed uh, area where they. I honestly, I like, I'll, admittedly, like most Americans, I've forgotten about Ukraine practically. Yeah. I, I can't even tell you the, the up to the minute on what's going on the ground there. I mean, we've been on Syria Watch for the last few weeks. So. Right. Uh, and on Syria Watch, so um, president said after the strikes last week, mission accomplished. Right. Um, so I guess a <laughs> couple of questions. One, what was the mission? Mm hmm. Right. And what was accomplished? Uh, So here's my thing on mission accomplished. I think this is a big, no big deal. I know what it means. I know what we all think. We all remember the banner. That was a wholly different situation to have President Bush on the aircraft carrier at the end of 03 when when a clear insurgency was brewing and the Iraq Iraq itself was about to implode. Right. Um, But this is clearly different. Did Trump use that phrase? Knowingly, uh, yeah, he said he did the next day. Oh, he so did. He, he tweeted the next. So yeah, so okay. he, he says mission accomplished, and for twenty four hours, the media freaks out about it, and we all kind of gasp. And I read it and went, "Oh yeah. man!" The next day, he says, "I knew that would get a rise out of the media." He tweeted oh. that on Sunday yeah. morning. Okay, and he said, "But it was mission accomplished." So my thoughts are, he's right. The, the mission was accomplished as stated. They they decided to hit those three targets, and they hit the hell out of them. They with a hundred right. cruise missiles. From three different bodies of water, from from the air, uh, with absolute, according to the Pentagon, 100% success rate, no engagement from any Syrian air defenses, those vaunted famed Syrian air defenses. Russia was convinced to step aside, to turn off their, well, to disengage their uh, air defenses as well, and let it happen. Uh, and uh, that's they 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 did what they wanted to do. So the problem is that was if the mission was hit those three targets, that's accomplished. Right. The political mission is not accomplished. Um, even what we know that they've stated, and I've been saying, I've been on air, I've been writing about how the, the administration has said that, that they, want, uh, they want a unified Syria 
with Assad gone that's negotiated at Geneva under the United Nations auspices. And right now they're doing absolutely nothing to get there. The counter-ISIS mission in the other war inside Syria uh, has done its job. It's not over yet, but it's pretty close. Uh, and I mean, all, ISIS has like right. no space left, right? In Syria. There are now thousands of troops on the ground, and and a lot of special forces, uh, you know, advisors who are sitting around with uh, the SDF fighters, the Syrian Democratic uh, Forces, who are Kurds and Arabs and Turks, and others, um, who <laughs> own half of Syria. The U.S. is in charge of all that. We own half of Syria right now, but it's not the civil war side. It's not Damascus. It's not right. Assad and Russia. Yeah. Somehow those two things have got to be resolved. And we are at this point that we knew was coming for years. We knew that we were going to be here. And now it's messier than ever. And Turkey became this, you know, this total unexpected rogue element uh, that's really mucked things up. So somehow, if you want to unify Syria, there's got to be a peace and someone's going to lead it. And right now, I, I don't know who in the United States government is in charge of this. There are three people... I'll keep going if you want. There are three no, people in no, charge. No, no, I'm of... fascinated by this. I mean, because <laughs> it's a, it's a mess, right? Well, and again, so I cover the military. And yeah, I was in right. Syria in January with General Votel. We went up to Raqqa, and at the time, there was a lot of nervousness about: Is the U.S. going to pull out? Is the U.S. going to turn their backs on the Syrian Kurds after they promised to help them, you know, kick ISIS out? Uh, because Russia and Assad are right there, ISIS could come back. What's the U.S. going to do? And General Votel said at the time his mission, as he understood it, was to build up that Syrian force, defeat ISIS on the ground, and, um, you know, tactically, and take back that territory, and stay with them, secure and hold it through stability operations, which means like getting the lights back on and cleaning the streets out, all the way to the Geneva peace process. That's his military mission. Hmm. Right now, there are three people that are running what goes on in Syria. General Votel, the head of Central Command, the USAID administrator, Mark Green, and uh, Brett McGurk, the special envoy, who's been on since the Obama days, who was, who was uh, you know, I think wary, and by a lot of people, has been trying to get out of that job for a few months, but no one knows who's going to take it over. And Brett McGurk is an envoy. He's done a very good job. He's well-respected and known throughout the region, but he's not a person of, of international clout. He's no Richard Holbrook. No, no offense to him. It just, he mm -hmm. just isn't. Mm -hmm. General Votel is not General Petraeus at the height of the Iraq war who marches into Washington and commands a thousand cameras when he testifies in Congress. Votel comes to Congress and there's nobody there except for us military reporters. Yeah. So you've got these three guys. And the day that, the, the week that we were talking about President Trump, when he tweeted we were going to pull out of Syria, and then a week later, okay, turns out we're not going to pull out of Syria. Those three guys were on stage in Washington at the U.S. Institute of Peace saying, well, we've got our mission and we're continuing with our mission. Just keeping their head down below the political scrum, below Trump's, you know, uh, left and right, you know, his tweets all over the place. And those are the guys that are running the, the operation there. And in the last month, you know, the, the, the consequence of that is, is our U.S. troops are dying. We had a guy who was killed because he was hit by a VBID, a, a very big IED, a car bomb, um, while in Syria. Because our guys now, this is like, remember Iraq? We came in, we took over Baghdad, and then... The U.S. had to become like the police of the area and hold it, right? right that's the right. whole phase of clear, whole build. And that's the part, that's the dangerous phase. And that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, when Americans are sitting there, you know, as acting as the guiding force, you know, now it's not the same as Iraq. We don't have, you know, guys sitting at street corners, um, you know, with sticking out <laughs> the top of Humvees as targets mm -hmm. for IEDs and, and terrorist insurgents. But our Americans are there and we have bases and, you know, we're going to become targets unless there's some movement forward towards something else. And and 
at this point, there is nobody who is pulling the parties together in Geneva to no. resolve this. No, so, nobody is. And I, and you know, <laughs> as I put my analyst hat on, not my reporting hat. Who could it be other than the United States? I mean, Macron is doing a hell of a job, and the, and the Obama administration yeah, set up I've, the French to be our partners. I mean, I, I went to Paris a couple of times with Defense Secretary Ash Carter, the last Secretary of the Obama administration, and the counter-ISIS coalition was the American and the French, and it was let the French be the kind of focal point for the European partners, because it's separate from NATO. It's not a NATO mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Macron has, has become a... a a real in-your-ear partner to to Trump in a way that no other world leader has right now. They speak weekly. They spoke almost daily throughout this Syria thing in the last week, we heard. Um, and I think it's made a difference. I mean, Macron claimed that he flipped you know Trump over. I think, I think all of Trump's own administration flipped him from running out of Syria and keeping the strikes limited. Um, but other than, I mean, Macron can do only do so much. If, if it's not the United States, if it's not the United States president, or some Richard Holbrook-like envoy, who's it going to be? Maybe Mike Pompeo and John Bolton? I mean, that's these are the new guys coming in. And I, I say that, I mean, you know, Pompeo was CIA director. He was he covered national security issues on the, on the in Congress. He's a former Army. So he has a worldview. Syria is forefront in his mind. He's been at CIA, where CIA is incredibly active in Syria. Uh, so maybe it'll get a little bit more attention to, than Rex Tillerson. But to it. what extent are Russia and Syria... Mm-hmm. Uh, even interested in this exactly. um, resolution? Well, I think because I think the, they are. because the civil war rages on. Right. right? Well, I the, mean, and Assad hasn't won that, he's, but he's almost won it. Right. Almost. I mean, pl- there are plenty of commentators who are saying he has that it's over. Like the rebels, like these last few. How much weeks territory are, do the rebels still hold? Uh, li- nothing. I mean, practically, like it was compared to. I think back to maybe year one or two of this. I remember then it was it was General Odierno. As Army Chief of Staff, the former head of the Iraq War, who said that it was a, we were about a month or a half away from the rebels toppling Assad. They were they were, <sighs> they were that close to doing it. If only the U.S. had provided a little bit more element. If the if Obama had allowed more special operations forces in there to take care of a few things and give mm-hmm. them the edge, um, but the U.S. stayed out of it, and in came Russia. Look, Syria and Russia also have absolutely. Um, a, a desire for peace and stability. They want prosperity. They want. They want. Russia wa- wants to keep trading in this region and have influence in this region. Uh, I, I, Iran is something different. But yeah, um, you know, I, I moderated a panel at that same USIP event with experts talking about Iran's interests and Russia's interests and the other countries around there. And one of the interesting things I learned or don't think about as much was that Russia has been building relations with all the other partners in the region and has been quietly, reportedly talking to. Like the Saudis saying, hey, you may not like what's going on there, but aren't you glad that we're here because look what the Iranians are trying to move in. And, you know, you Saudis mm, don't like right, the Iranians, right. so it's not so bad that us Russians are here. Plus, we're major oil trading partners, and, you know, we, we want to help with the infrastructure as much as they can do with their limited economy. economy. But absolutely, there, there's, there's, a, there's a reason for peace. Um, and they've tried to hold peace talks in Astana. These alternate versions, Trump. You know, it's a it's a show. It, it, nobody goes except for the Iranians and the Russians and Assad. Even the Turks won't go. Um, but they've tried to show that we do want peace. We're trying to bring things together. And Putin's, you know, having his moment on the side. At some point, they've all got to get back together. Mm. Um, but someone's got to make it happen from the West. And it's there's just no leader that's forcing it. Uh, I keep hearing people say the alleged chemical attack. What do? Do we, what do we know? I mean, it, they, they used chemical weapons, didn't they? 
Sure. Uh, according to the, you know, you're so, the military reporter, right? right. Well, the, your you sources know, the on the US ground government, tell you. The U.S. government says they said early on they know it's a chemical attack. Um, they just didn't know what types of chemicals, and that mattered. Um, and then once they once you can decide what types of chemicals, uh, what we're hearing from all the other experts is that that only that's all you'll learn. You can't they, these these tests don't tell you where it came from or who dropped them or who, you know, what, how, how they got there, the delivery. Yeah, but who else? Well, exactly. So the United States has said flat out, I mean, Sarah Sanders herself has said flat out, this is, this is the fault of the regime um, and the Russians for backing them. Um, the Pentagon and the intelligence community, you know, took, some people thought maybe a couple extra days to make sure that they got it right to say they knew that chlorine gas was used and some other type of gas. Then it came out that it's believed to be sarin. We're still waiting for a UN, the UN team to get in there. The UN team wasn't allowed to get in there. Uh, they, they've the, the French are saying the Russians are going to you know taint things. So, well, but the it, Americans have already already said it. And NBC reported uh, intel, two, two intelligence sources saying that they the U.S. has blood and urine samples from victims on the ground, and uh, these things were detected. But even the inspectors were not allowed in yesterday. Right. 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 Yeah. But U.S. intelligence doesn't need inspectors. I mean, they're on the ground already. They're all over northern Syria. Um, the different, but it's an important distinction because the initial some of the initial reports you know that I read which were smart to point out, that if he just used industrial strength chlorine gas, that's different than a weaponized chemical like sarin. And it, I guess it doesn't trigger the same legal um, you know, authority or you know, perimeter to launch a retaliatory strike. Mm-hmm. Being able to say it was a chemical weapon like a sarin nerve agent, now you have the authority to say, there, because of the conventional, because of the chemical weapons convention, uh, we have to, you know, put this down, and there's a, there has to be a, you know, an, a no tolerance, you know. Policy. So they used them during the Obama administration, and we were going to considering strikes, and then Russia comes up with this magic solution, which we went for, and they supposedly got rid of all their chemical weapons. And that, right. right, Russia was that supposed was, to be the guarantor of it, and yeah, obviously they yeah. didn't. Right, so last year they do them again. We had to do a military strike. That was going to stop him. Obviously, it didn't stop him. Well, it wasn't going to stop him. It was just supposed to punish them for the one strike, and we hit okay. it one way. It was a message. It was yeah. supposed to be a deterrent. All right. It wasn't supposed what, to wipe out their okay. capability. Whatever it was, yeah. it didn't work because they used them again this year, right? Yeah. Now, this strike targeted— Same thing. But targeted the sources, supposedly, the factories, whatever, the, right. installa- the installations but where the weapons come no from. No planes, no air bases, no defenses— it was, excuse me, it was incredibly, yeah. incredibly limited on purpose. Uh, I think, and a lot of people are complaining about that. Uh, uh, I don't, I, I will have an opinion either way other than to say this is, this is what, again, what the administration right. stated they were going to do. It's why they took a, a good week to come up with the, what their target list um, and to get the international community on board to, my, to convince the is, Russians. Is, is this going to work any better than the last two attempts? Um, in, I don't. I don't know. Only, nobody knows. Only time will tell if if Assad decides to do it or not do it. If the I, Russians allow it to happen again or not. It's a tough question, which so, you. I'm, I'm sure you can't but, get. But inside. can I say on, on that yeah. point though? I don't understand. Yeah. People are, I think, a little bit focused on on blaming the Trump administration for not bombing enough when it's 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 not any but U.S. administration. Not where I'm going. It's, but okay. go ahead. it's yeah. not any U.S. administration's fault that Syria continues to gas its own people. It's Assad's fault and it's right. Russia's fault. So keep right. your mind on keep your mind yes. on that. Yeah. The United T- States, total, total, with with you know with a bit of of moral high ground specifically targeted, you know, very limited things and did not go after the rest of Syrians' military. Why? Because they said you can't prove it. You can't, you know, 
that would that would be maybe going too far and inviting retaliatory strike, inviting Russia to protest. And, you know, they kept it limited. And if yeah, they need to do it again, look, we'll do it again. <laughs> I don't think the military solution is the, is the right solution. But at any right. rate, it was done with our, our allies, UK and, 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 and France, which I applaud. And it was limited, mm-hmm. which I applaud. But I guess the question I was going to ask you is, why would a, why would Assad be using chemical weapons? I mean, I you know well, he, he's got to know it's going to be condemned by everybody else on the planet except Russia and Iran, I guess. And does he really need them to get the, 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 with his military strength against the rebels? He's almost got the rebels, as you pointed out, wiped out now. Yeah, because it's not, from my understanding, it's not it's not a mili- it's not a military tactic designed to. Um, you know, harm territory the other side's like military capabilities. Yeah, it's a it's a population fear instiller, right? It's it's a way it yeah. kills yeah. indiscriminately, yeah. It kills civilians. So when an entire cities are revolting and there's and there's unrest, like in Gouda or in Duma, then this is what this is what he's turned to. This is ways to to tell it's to prevent it's to prevent citizens from signing up to be rebels to to keep funding this you know rebellion against him or fueling it. Excuse me. And he, absolutely, it's a sign of desperation. I mean, he can't, you know, kill everyone, and it, but he's sure done a, a good job of it. Right. I mean, can, w- w- what's yeah. left of Syria to govern is is just uh, unheard of. And some people are talking about maybe there'll be split Syrias. But I, I went to Raqqa. I drove through Raqqa. There's nothing left. It looks like Dresden. You know, there's no alternate, you know, capital to to the rest of this country. Uh, there's no, you know, no one's talking about splitting it up and and having divided economic, you know, systems and governing structures. And, you know, you've got a big chunk of that country that's being run now by civic councils that were set up after the Syrian Democratic Forces that are men and women, and you know, they're they're trying, they're ready to go. But somehow that's got to be reconciled with. Assad and that government and what's going on there and all the people that have the grievances against each other of any civil war. Uh, let me quickly uh, hopscotch with you through yep. some of the rest of the territory. Um, what is it now? Fifteen years in Iraq, uh, uh, in Afghanistan, uh, or yeah, this is two thousand one. Longer, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Sixteen, seventeen, 17. yeah, it's seventeen. And where are we in Afghanistan? Uh, so I, we went to Afghanistan too in in January. Um, <laughs> it was it was a big trip. We, we, um, uh, Afghanistan is having a bit of a reboot on a very smaller, a much smaller level than Obama's big surge. Uh, the Trump administration has authorized uh, an increase of U.S. troops uh, by sending in a brand new style of brigade of like you know brigades of three to five thousand troops mm-hmm. called an SFAB, a Security Force Assistance Brigade, and it's basically instead of ad hoc sending army teams in to be advisors to the Afghans all over the country because they were starting to get overrun by Taliban. It was too, and it's hard to gather elements of army units into one thing. They, the army has decided to make a full brigade that does just this because this is kind of the, the future for U.S. military abroad is doing a lot of training of foreign militaries. Um, this is the first test of that, to send a brigade in and it's it was the way that they've sold it as look we were we were stuck at our big bases and we would go out and, and you know check on the local Afghan forces but then we have to come back now we can go out and stay with them and we can be on the ground with them we can call in you know fight fighters a little bit easier call in air cover a little bit better um, and they think that's going to make a difference on the uh, from the air there's a a new much more robust air campaign to to go after and to target. Taliban targets, but specifically to go after the financial networks of the opium trade. 
which is a new thing. There's a lot of naysayers to this, but the thought is because people will say, haven't we been going after the opium for 10 years? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Previously, to be rough about it, previously you were bombing farmers, bombing farms, destroying their economic livelihood and turning a lot of people into Taliban instead of you know bringing them to into the, the good side. Now, this is supposed to be modeled off of the success that they that the U.S. had in Iraq and Syria against ISIS, which was when ISIS was trying to you know, use drug trade and illicit financing and, and oil fields. They weren't bombing all the oil refineries. They were going after the money, literally bombing warehouses of cash. We saw the, the these mm. satellite photos, like cash flying in the air from, from a bomb. <laughs> Same kind of thing. So they want to go after the actual drug labs, the financial networks. And if you're a banker and you're working with these guys, you're now a target. And they're there. There's, there was hope that that would make a difference. So it's uh, in Afghanistan, it's still the Afghans versus the Taliban. Sure. Um, yeah, mostly. I mean, there's like 20 different terrorist groups there, and ISIS-K was a group there that's been, you know, it depends on they're so, up on the, up on the so rise or not. So is the country not, like 60% stable? or I, I don't know the latest percentage. You, yeah, you know, but, the, they put out these numbers of how much land they own or how much population centers they own. I just tell people with Afghanistan, remember, Afghanistan is in the middle of nowhere. There's no, you can't pull troops out of the country and hope that if things go bad, we can send them quickly back in like we did in Iraq. I mean, we don't have a Kuwait yeah. next door with 30,000 troops. We don't have aircraft carriers right off the shore. We don't have, you know, an air base in Turkey on the other side of Syria. It literally is in the middle of nowhere. So the United States is always going to have a, a presence at Bagram Air Base. It's going to have a special operating, uh, special operators, um, you know, lily pad down in um, Jalalabad uh, because they, if, if you're going to keep, keep a, a thumb on the terrorist groups there, specifically who have capability or designs on on attacking the West, on external attacks, then you got to have American troops. So we still by. have troops in Syria. We still have troops in Afghanistan, even though uh, mm-hmm. the candidate Trump said he was going to pull them out of both. And we still have troops in in Iraq. Mm-hmm. I mean, is the Iraq war like over? Uh, yeah, the Iraq War is over. Iraq I mean, the Iraqis. So, I mean, but we, the, I guess the Iraq operation is not over, right? Or whatever. Right. So it. the Iraqis themselves now are in. They're they're in um they're in cleanup phase. They're still going back into Fallujah, back into Ramadi, keeping an eye on Mosul and finding any 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 you know any hint of an ISIS resurgence. And they they say they're really they're very, they're they're not going to let it happen again. And. So far, so good. We'll see. They have elections coming up in May. Um, that's more important to their future than security presence. But uh, we, we have forces all over the place. And, and don't forget, we have, we have a lot of forces at Camp Lamonia in Djibouti, right across the way in North Africa. That's the future of this fight. And we have, there's more forces, and that base is getting bigger, and the, you know, the, per, the temporary structures are being turned into permanent structures. You know, the future of U.S. counterterrorism forces uh, operations is across North Africa, and that's a hell of a lot bigger and a hell of a lot more problematic, I think, than what we saw in Iraq. And then we have Yemen. And then we have Yemen, uh, <laughs> and which is let's see, what time is it? Ten o'clock yeah. this morning. Um, there's a there's so there's actually a, a big hearing today in the Senate on in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee this morning on Yemen. Uh, with officials from state, DOD, and USAID. I'm, so I'm going to be as paying to attention what, to that. As to what our role is in what's, Yemen, right? What's the U.S. role, what U.S. interests are, and why? I mean, the shorthand there is, uh, is you know, there's a, there's a civil war. The U.S. helped, I think, stoke it. Um, the Houthis mm-hmm. are fighting. Uh, they, they're getting support from the Iranians. The Saudis are worried about it. And what the Americans are concerned about is that the Iranians are sending missiles into Yemen uh, they're ballistic missiles that can now reach American targets and targets of our allies, including the middle of Riyadh, including the shipping lanes um, and the straits down below. 
Um, and that's that's the number one concern for the Americans. Is Kevin Barron from Defense One, executive editor. Is there any good news? Is there any good news? Uh, baseball yeah, season's did, back. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, baseball <laughs> season's back. Baseball right. season's back. But wait, I went to the game this weekend. Oh man, I didn't know. I was sitting there. I go, "Where's Jason Worth?" Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I didn't read the spring training updates. I just like, came to the park and <laughs> the team went, looks a little what different this, this year. Team, man, like yeah. I don't, like, I don't even know these guys. But you know, we're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to. It. I'm encouraged by the Florida State spring game. You know, that was that was a big thing this weekend too. We got a new coach down at Tallahassee, and uh, you know, we'll see. Behind right. helps. I guess. I guess the bottom line there is, if you want any good news, don't think about what's happening around the world. Yeah. Don't look to Washington. Yeah, don't look to Washington. All right. Hey, Kevin, <laughs> thanks for coming in. Great hey, to see pleasure. you. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks as for always. Coffee. All right. It's <laughs> defenseone.com. Back on the political trail with uh, Jordan Carney from The Hill coming up next here on The Bill Press Show. Stay with us for a quick break, and then we'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. And on a Tuesday, April 17, uh, how about it? It is the Bill Press Show on a very busy news day. Coming to you live, as always, from our nation's capital. That's Washington, D.C. on this tax day, 2018, with all the news of the day. A little reminder, if you haven't already caught up with it, uh, my new book, which is out, uh, number seven on the Washington Post uh, bestseller list. From the left, A Life in the Crossfire. Uh, with some great endorsements and blurbs on the cover of Bernie Sanders on the uh, front cover, and then uh, Nancy Pelosi, Jerry Brown, Rosa DeLauro, and Maxine Waters on the back cover, as well as a few friends from the right, Tucker Carlson, Joe Scarborough, and believe it or not, uh, Ann Coulter, Anderson Cooper from CNN, sort of right down the middle. Um, If you haven't checked it out, check our our website for uh, see a couple of reviews of the book and find out more about it at BillPressShow.com. It's a lot of fun. It's been great fun and a great life so far. So I call this memoir Part One, uh, and uh, check it out. And on the big story of the day, yesterday, a big surprise in the courtroom in New York when Michael Cohen's attorneys and President Trump's attorneys were trying to convince a judge that they should decide what the FBI gets to review out of all the documents um, seized by the FBI last week in Michael Cohen's home and office and hotel room, they should decide, not any federal prosecutors, what the FBI can see. Uh, They brought that before a judge, and the judge said, well, you named two clients, Donald Trump, Elliot Brody from the RNC, uh, and who's that third client? Hmm. And they said, "Mm, no, we don't want to tell you his name because um, he said... He asked us not to give his name because he'd be embarrassed for people to know who he is. And the judge said, that doesn't cut it with me. Uh, I want to know who he is. And as we just heard from Andrew Restuccia from Politico a little earlier in the show, uh, when the attorney said it was uh, Sean Hannity, there were gasps in the courtroom (laughs) because they knew that this would uh, make news. Uh, And Hannity uh, then goes out and tries to deny it all on his radio show yesterday. I never received an invoice from Michael. I never paid legal fees to Michael. Uh, But I have occasionally had brief discussions with him about legal questions about which I wanted his input and perspective. 
Uh, and I assume that those conversations were attorney-client confidential. Uh-huh. So here's the fixer, Michael Cohen, whose specialty is making payments to women to keep quiet about affairs or even leading to a pregnancy, in the case of Elliot Brody. And Sean Hannity is going to the sex fixer to talk about real estate? Uh, <clears throat> I think that's a little stretch. But we'll see what happens with that at any rate. Uh, not not good for the president's team, not good for Michael Cohen's team yesterday, and certainly not good for Sean Hannity and Fox News. Meanwhile, there is other stuff going on, and we will put that aside uh, for the moment uh, and say hello to Jordan Carney, who covers the Hill for the Hill, if you follow, um, covers the Senate for the Hill newspaper, a great newspaper, thehill.com. And if you check out thehill.com today, you can read my column on uh, James Comey and the impact of his book release. That's why I'm a big fan of The Hill, because they run my column. <laughs> hey, Jordan, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. So it's good to see you. Um, meanwhile, so there's this whole Michael Cohen legal front. There's the other legal front, which is the Robert Mueller legal front. Let's let's not forget that that does continue. <laughs> Blooming out there. That's also a criminal investigation. Uh, and um, that Donald Trump so concerned about it that there were, I mean, things, things uh, you know, change quickly here. But at least a week ago, there were all kinds of um, signs that he might be looking for a way to fire Robert Mueller and maybe Rod Rosenstein and maybe Jeff Sessions as well, or Robert Mueller, which has led some members of Congress to say, we better put up a firewall to protect Robert Mueller. Where does that stand? Yeah, so last week you had four senators introduce this bill that would limit the president's ability to fire Robert Mueller, would specify that only a senior Justice Department official could fire Robert Mueller. Uh, it's going to come up in the Senate Judiciary Committee on Thursday. It's probably not going to get a vote on Thursday. It's probably going to be delayed until next week. But So we'll be up this week. There'll be a hearing this week? There will be, like, they'll... They have it on the agenda, so if they wanted to have a committee vote on it this week, they could. They probably will not. Someone will say, I don't like this bill, or I want more time to study this bill, um, and so it'll actually get delayed until next week. Right. Okay. And this bill is sponsored by? By Tom Tillis, Chris Coons, Cory Booker, and Lindsey Graham. So Bipartisan. Two, right. Two Republicans, yeah. two Democrats. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what would it do? It would... Uh, first of all, like I said, codify that only a senior Justice Department official, so only like Rod Rosenstein, could fire Robert Mueller. Uh, and then if You mean the president could not? Yeah. The president direct, could not directly, directly. Yeah, directly yeah. fire Robert Mueller. And then if Robert Mueller was fired, it would give him 10 days to go to a court and say, you know, was I fired for good cause? And if they say he was not, then he would be reinstated. So does this... Um, uh, I, I guess, is this, the president's attorneys, I could see, would make the argument, right, yeah. that this is um, an, a, a, the legislative branch trying to take powers away from the executive branch. Yeah. And that, there's that age-old dispute. But uh, shouldn't the president have the ability to fire, I, I say this not defending Donald Trump, but the president have the ability to fire anybody who works in his administration? 
Yeah, that's why you hear a lot of Republicans. But this is a special counsel, I guess, is the answer to that. But go ahead. <laughs> I mean, you even hear a lot of Republican senators saying this bill is unconstitutional. You know, we wouldn't want the president trying to, like, mess with who was in the Senate. We shouldn't try to limit who he can fire. Um, Chuck Grassley, the Judiciary Committee chairman who agreed to give this bill a vote, did so saying, yeah, I think the court's going to end up having to decide if this bill is legal or not. Um, so that's why he's trying to amend it to add in some extra protections, which is sparking fear from Democrats and kind of opening up a whole other can of worms on this legislation. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell says, um, I don't think there's no sign. I don't think Donald Trump's going to do this. So why should we act uh, until he does? basically. Yeah. So the day before this new bill came out, Mitch McConnell told a bunch of reporters, I haven't seen any indication that we need to pass legislation. You know, I don't think Donald Trump is going to fire Robert Mueller. I don't, you know, most people think Robert Mueller should be allowed to continue in his job. So even if this bill gets passed committee, you know, this week or next week, uh, don't assume it's automatically going to become law or well, even pass the Senate. Uh, okay. Now, there are a couple of other hurdles here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, let's assume it does get out of this committee. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got to get 51 votes on the floor. It's going to get 60 votes on 60 the floor. 60 votes on the floor, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. That means <laughs> you got to have a good number of Republicans to vote for it. I'm sure Democrats would. Yeah, and I mean, you've had um, a few Republicans. You had Susan Collins say like she would support this as a message to the president, but then even said, I think it's got some constitutional problems, so you know, maybe it wouldn't go anywhere. Um, you've had Lisa Murkowski say she would be open to the bill depending on the specifics of it. You've had Bob Corker say, I don't think we'll be successful, but I would be open to appropriate legislation. Um, but that's not, that doesn't get you to 60 votes. Not, not solid charges for the bill, right? Yeah. Okay. But let's assume that by some miracle it got out of the Senate. Then it's got to get out of the House, right? Where it has even less of a chance. Yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Even less of a chance in, in, the, in the House. And then it'd have to be signed by the president. Where it's even less of a chance. Which is why, again, when you're talking to Republican senators, they say, even if we pass it, even if we somehow got 60 votes, do you really think that it could get 67 votes that, you know, Republican leadership, no less, is going to want to do a veto override of the president months before a midterm election? Like, there are serious forces working against this bill. So, uh, basically, I think the message is, the reality is, uh, Robert Mueller, if you're counting on... <laughs> the U.S. Senate, uh, to protect you from getting fired, you're out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you even have huh? someone like Jeff Flake who, you know, tends to vote with Democrats on some issues more than some of his Republican colleagues has said, I don't think there's anything we can legally do on the front end. We have to wait until Robert Mueller is fired, then maybe the Senate could do something. I mean, I appreciate the effort of people trying to say, like, this does not look good and we need to be ready for it and we need to be proactive. But also, I mean, the Senate can't get anything done. I mean, they're not getting anything done. No, the Congress in general period, isn't getting period, anything done, right. period. So, like, for them to find some common ground on this and get something done on this, I, I don't think it's going to happen. No, no. Right? No. I mean... <laughs> It, it, no, it's not going to happen. I mean, there's no way you can you can you could get uh, particularly 67. The idea that yeah. that this Senate is going to override a presidential veto on this to save Robert Mueller not going to happen. And you, I mean, you've seen Republican senators at large instead of talking about legislation, just trying to verbally warn the president from not firing Mueller. I mean, you've yeah, had Chuck Grassley right. say it's like suicide. You've had people say it is a catastrophe. You've had people say it's you know going to be the end of his presidency if he does this. So. 
really publicly saying don't do this. But at the same time, like all of these people have some history of walking those statements, mm-hmm. not, not those particular statements, but walking other statements back, yeah. right? Like there have been a, there has been many lines in the sand that have been drawn that Donald Trump walked right over and nobody did anything. So, like, will they actually do something or will it actually be the end of his presidency or will it be political suicide? I I don't think so. But you know what? If if Trump does go down this path, which will be, I think, reckless, certainly, uh, and risky for him, um, he'll find a way. He can find a way to do it. I mean, he if he tasks Rosenstein to fire Mueller and Rosenstein says no, he'll fire him. And then he'll just keep going down the line like Nixon did uh, in the Saturday Night Massacre until he finds somebody, for Nixon was Robert Bork, willing to fire Mueller. And then the question is, what would the Senate do and what would the House do? I think despite, we've talked about this so many times, despite all their rhetoric, you know, they will bitch and complain and whine and moan and do nothing. You mean, you, and you've heard, again, as senators are sort of making these warnings, like, it would be bad. You know, we asked them, what would you actually do? Like, what would the Senate yeah, actually you, do? You've asked them that. If, yeah. if this happens, they're like, well, I don't want to speculate. I, I just think it would be bad. The only thing they could do <laughs> is is the House start impeachment hearings mm-hmm. and impeach and the Senate convict. And I mean, you had I mean, Susan I mean, Collins. They could pass a resolution saying, we don't approve of this, right? But that has no impact at all. No yeah. No weight, no power at all. You had Susan Collins over the weekend say if the president, for example, fired Rod Rosenstein, then the Senate, she didn't think the Senate would confirm a new deputy attorney general unless that nominee also promised to reappoint a special counsel. <laughs> um, but no one yeah. else has backed her up on that statement yet. So, In other words, yeah. Peter, as we've been saying, <laughs> nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. No. Right. I mean, I feel no. pretty comfortable in saying that for like a lot of different reasons. I just, it's just not going to happen. There will be. I mean, Paul Ryan sort of perfected this right early on in the in the in the Trump administration. Uh, oh, this guy's new on the job. He's still trying to figure it out. Or, or well, we find this very disappointing, or we're very disheartened by this, but we're going to keep moving yeah. forward and do the work of the American people. Like, th- there's a script for this, and even the ones that said. Like Lindsey Graham and all these guys that said it was going to be the end of his political career or whatever. Like, they have a script, too. They'll just kind of, well, we're very disappointed in this, and we, we, we expect better out of the presidency, but we got a lot of issues we want to work on, and we're going to keep focusing on those. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I feel like it's, yeah, it's so easy. Uh, it is, yeah. <laughs> we can see that we've seen this movie before. Meanwhile, uh, Mitch McConnell um, is not spending a lot of time on this Robert Mueller thing. Maybe one of the reasons is because he is so busy championing <laughs> Kentucky's favorite product, which we all thought was bourbon, but it turns out to be hemp. hemp. What the hell? What's going on? So, I mean, he's been involved with this issue for years. He said over the last recess that he was going to introduce legislation um, to legalize you know, hemp as an agricultural product. He did that late last week. And there's a, there's a thing in the Senate called Rule 14 where you can basically let a bill skip over the committee process and go straight to the Senate calendar, which maybe lets it come up for a vote. Um, well, first of all, it, it, to invoke Rule 14, if that's what it says, you can just skip over the committee mm-hmm. process. It's got to be something like really major, right? Like national security <laughs> or something? Uh, uh, emergency situation? I think as- Emergency <laughs> relief for Puerto Rico. Okay, you invoke for, Rule 14. But hemp? You mean, so- 
as I think his office told me last night, a lot of bills get Rule 14 It's not just like special, you know, special, special bills that get Rule 14 Um but I mean, this is, I mean, this is a big issue in his state, right? Like this is an issue he's kind of been involved with for years. He said he was going to introduce it last month. So is hemp illegal now? It's, it's a con- on the controlled substance list. So this bill would you know, remove it, let states mostly regulate it, um, let you know, like hemp researchers apply for Department of Agriculture grants. Okay, let me uh, uh, ask the uh, advice of our um Agricultural expert here. Hi, Bill. I'm sorry. I was just yes, I was Peter. just finishing rolling a joint for a 420 uh, know, special that we're going to exactly. be taping later. So why uh, is hemp on the controlled substances list? I I couldn't tell you. I I, re- I mean I really couldn't. Uh, anybody who's ever tried to get high smoking hemp, I mean, good luck. You'd have to smoke a lot of. You have to smoke a lot, like a truckload of it, to feel anything yeah, at all. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, some people do smoke it, don't they? You can. It's not something that a lot of people do. Um, I mean, him is interesting to know how it got on the list. I I honestly couldn't tell you. I mean, I think that there's just I don't. I know uh, Leader McConnell was asked about do you think people will confuse this with marijuana back in Kentucky when he was introduced or when he said he was going to introduce this bill last month, and he said I think people now realize that they are different. Things, yeah. I do. I do think that's a good point. That I and I, I you know, we rarely give Mitch McConnell good <laughs> credit for making a good point on this show, but I think it's a good point. It, the The whole weed thing. I mean, uh, with 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 the Trump administration, what Jeff Sessions would like to do with marijuana, I kind of feel like the genie is out of the bottle a little bit, mm-hmm. and people from soccer moms to uh, professional dads to talk radio hosts, uh, they're getting high now because you can get high in some states. It's totally legal to get high. And they know the difference between, you know, getting pot to smoke and the the benefits of hemp as an agricultural product, right? Which it used to be sort of a, a weird line that people would draw back in the day that like, oh, hemp is great. Forget the other bad stuff. That's bad for you. But yeah. hemp is actually good. And so like hemp has never really been a controversial thing. So it's weird that it's a, that it was a, a controlled substance. Uh, and if people are not getting high on it, what's it good for? Uh, what's it used for? I'm let me say I'm not a hemp expert, <laughs> but I think it can be used. I think I was reading last night in like oils and, and different things. Kentucky itself does a lot of hemp research, um, which again, Mitch McConnell's issues right. that he's been involved in. It is sort of a weird group of senators because it's like Mitch McConnell, Rand Paul. Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley, not the normal group you see mm-hmm. introducing things together in the Senate. So. so, by the way, I just I did a little bit of research because I'm 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 way more interested in you know just getting high. I don't know a lot about hemp, <laughs> but uh, the seeds and flowers are used in health foods, organic body care, and other uh, nutraceuticals. The fibers and stalk are used in hemp clothing. Now, that is something that I have yeah. seen. Right, huh. like you can make fairly durable clothes and even shoes out of hemp uh, because you've got those fibers and the stalks, which again, you really can't smoke. That Like when like when you get a bag of weed, you used to get a bag of weed, you pick out all the stems and seeds, right? Because it right. doesn't get yeah. you high. Uh, that's essentially what, what they use for hemp. So um, it you can grow. It's I mean, we know it. Weed is really easy to grow. Hemp is so you really can make a fiber grow. out of it and, and fabrics then mm-hmm. out of it. Rope just and like- fabric, yeah. You know, like Carol, my wife, who's a weaver, she makes rayon chenille scarves, but also scarves out of bamboo. 
You're thinking now. Now maybe okay, we're going to have to start making <laughs> okay, Bill. hemp scarves. I can see where you're going here. Hemp. I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. Just better look into. Uh... So you get some of the byproduct. You get Carol the hemp, and that way everyone wins. Uh, yeah. You just get the whole plant, and you take the good stuff, and she gets her good stuff, and you're yeah. set. But the good stuff is not so good. Right. Right. So McConnell's pushing this through. When's it going to happen? I, I uh, kind of reached out to his office last night after I realized it had been added, and they said, you know, we don't have an announcement on a vote yet. We, you know, like they said, they said a lot of bills get Rule 14. They aren't saying if or when it's going to get a vote. Um, it just sort of caught my attention that they allowed this bill to skip over committee and sort of put it on the on the calendar. So. Yeah. Well, um, well, um, you know, so here we go. <laughs> Mitch McConnell excited about something. It's hard to believe that it took him to get him excited about anything. Uh, it would be very funny if he gets this bill passed and through the House and then Donald Trump were to veto it. Oh, my God. God. Yes. Oh, man. Um, I know the Senate is your beat, but um, we've got to ask you, because you can't cover the Capitol without um, uh, talking to people about what happened with Paul Ryan's surprise announcement last week that he is not going to run. Uh, for re-election and not even in the Congress. So he is out. What happens then to the GOP caucus in the House uh, post-Paul Ryan? And particularly now coming into the midterm elections, I know Mm -hmm. there's some tension that having him there is just like a drag as speaker because everybody sees him as a lame duck, not a dead duck, right? So uh, that is going to put a hamp, a, a, a kind of, cramp the style of raising money and the energy for holding on to the House in the midterms. What's your read? Yeah, so you've had, I guess, some rumblings from House Republicans that maybe he should step down earlier, and so they can go into the midterm kind of with their election team set in place. He said that's not going to happen, basically. Um, the he's, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, he, like, he said after. it last week. He said it on Sunday again that despite sort of these murmurings that you hear he is staying in place until after the midterm election. Um, Kevin McCarthy obviously is the favorite to replace him. Uh, you've got some some questions about what the House Freedom Caucus is going to do and what they will try to leverage in exchange for their votes for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Mark Meadows, I guess, last week come out and say, we have the votes to keep anyone from getting to 218. So basically saying, you know, make us a deal. Uh, you've got Jim Jordan, who's a founding member of that caucus, sort of throwing a curveball in the race and, and saying he might be interested in, in running for speaker. It's really kind of watching what that group does. To, to How many members of the uh, are there, the Freedom Caucus? I think caucus? like 30-something, so enough to, to make a difference. So what they want is to – they figure they need 218 mm-hmm. Republican mm-hmm. votes, right, yep. for speaker. Because assuming they would get no Democratic <laughs> yeah, votes, that person, right? Okay. Uh, so the and there are two hundred and thirty-five or so Republicans. Yes, or? like I said, they can they can hmm. they got some weight. So the Freedom Caucus could dictate who the next speaker is. I mean, the thinking is that they they want an agreement on like committee chairmanships or lower you know leadership spots, um, but they've got some influence. And it's, I mean, Kevin McCarthy, you know, was thought to be maybe the next speaker after John Boehner retired and then uh, we, ran into a similar conservative problem. Right. So right. everybody's kind of watching to see what he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not great. So he's going to have to make a, have to make a deal with them. Yeah, right? they have to make a deal with them. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, do you think it does dampen their uh, prospects for 
I mean, Democrats feel that it gives them um, increases their chances of taking back the House. Yeah, I think you had a lot of Democratic reaction when you saw that he was retiring, saying this is just another sign that, you know, that the thinking is that we're going to take back the House. Um, I mean, Paul Ryan has come out and said, no, I want to spend more time with my family, you know, and that's and that's why I'm stepping down. I'm, so I'm retiring. But, you know, it's not. We'll see. Um, uh, and if Democrats take back the House, is Nancy Pelosi the next speaker? <laughs> I think that's everyone's uh, assumption. You, she has a pretty tight grip on that on that caucus. Right. Yeah. There's some rumblings, of course. But there's, uh, I mean, yeah, there have been rumblings for kind of for years about will she let you know. I think the only way she would not be speaker is if she decides not to run again as speaker. But yeah. otherwise, I don't see anyone beating her. But yeah. someone may take a shot at it. At any rate, Jordan, good to catch up with everything that's going on. Thank you so much again. It's Jordan Carney, and it's the Hill, thehill.com. Thank you. Have a great day, folks. This Come back and see is us tomorrow. The Bill Press Show.